I like to build things. I like to stay busy. And last week we looked at a scripture talking about building, and it said this. Psalm 127.1 says this. Unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain who build it. Unless the Lord guards the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. And so last week, we just stayed on this spot for quite a while. Unless the Lord builds the house, they that labor, labor in vain. God has a plan for our lives. God has a plan for our lives. And he wants us to walk through this life with him, relying on him. And so we began to look at some of these scriptures on relying on God last week. We talked about the steps of a good man are ordered of the Lord. And that's a wonderful thing to know that as we walk through life, that we can listen for the ordering of the steps of the Lord. It's so cool that, that we step all day long. So to think about that God wants to order those steps all day long is just awesome to me. Um, we looked at another scripture in Proverbs 16.3, which says this, commit your works to the Lord and your thoughts will be established. How many of you have ever heard that verse before? So many people have heard these verses. And if, you, get, if you, you see Sunday school classes and all these, and if you look at these books, the verses to memorize, these are the one of the verses that books will get you to memorize. And because of that, sometimes I just like, you don't really stop and meditate. But when you think about it, when you commit your works to the Lord, your thoughts will be established. And I've sat and I've meditated on that the last little while, thinking about that and just getting up in the morning and just being like, okay, Lord, this is your day, your slate. This is the day you've made. I'm gonna rejoice and be glad in it. And I'm going to commit my work to you today. Just imagine about just that adjustment alone. Just getting out of bed. Never mind, oh, I have to catch a plane or I have to do this or I have to get to work or I have to clean this or I have to do that. What about your first thing being, everything I do today, God, I am going to commit this work to you. And so as you begin to roll out working your works to the Lord, as you go throughout your day, as you begin to start your day and start to do your work, that's in the forefront and you're committing that work to him. That in general will get you to adjust a few things. Because you'll go to do something and be like, I can't really commit this to the Lord. You know what I mean? This just seems so silly to commit to the Lord. Or, or things that, you, that we're doing or things we shouldn't be doing. Very hard to commit those to the Lord, right? And so committing your works to the Lord and your thoughts will be established is such a cool thing to me. Because if you're like, okay, God, I'm committing my day to you. As you do that, God guarantees us that he will establish our thoughts. And so that's just such an easy adjustment. But if we want to do the will of the Lord, what do we do? Commit the day to God. If we want to do the will of the Lord today, we commit this day to God. And as we do that, as we talk to God, as we walk through the day with God, our thoughts will be established. Now, if you think about that, that is so cool that God is establishing our thoughts. Now, we have free choice and we have free will and God gives us that. But he's the one that gives us the wisdom and the thoughts that we have a, that we have a choice to move out on. And so I don't know about you, but... I want to go through my day with the wisdom of God, knowing that God can establish my thoughts about something. Man, just think about that. Think about relationships. How many times if we just commit a relationship to God and trust him to establish our thoughts on how we should, should treat somebody, how we should be towards somebody, whether we should even be around somebody, right? Him establishing our thoughts. What about our workplaces? How much more work would we get done if we had the wisdom of God? Right? I know, Peter, you've shared with me before. You've sat in a service, and, and, and I can't even speak Peter's language. He's like Mr. Math Genius. And, and, and so, but he was sitting in a service one time, and he was facing a huge credit union problem. And he was telling me about this. He was sitting in service, and a formula that he recited back to me, which I couldn't even, it was like Chinese to me, a formula just dropped into his thoughts and fixed a credit union problem. 
And so if you don't know what Peter does, he just, he's like, he tries to tell credit unions what's going to happen in the future. And so you, you, you got to be a little bit out there to be able to do forecast that stuff. So yeah, it's like, but if we commit our works to God, we can trust that those thoughts will be established. Isn't that cool? So Proverbs 3, 5 and 6, something very similar. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not into your own understanding. We are faced with leaning into our own understanding every single day. We are. We face choices and situations every day where we want to lean on our own flesh and our own understanding. And there's so many times where we even feel the Holy Ghost wanting us to move away from a situation or how we're going to talk to somebody or, or, you know, getting angry. Like sometimes we get angry and we're like, we feel justified. We're leaning on our own understanding. I have a right to be angry. But that's leaning on our own understanding. That's not trusting in God. But if we trust in God and we acknowledge him in everything we do, then rather than our flesh and our anger and our desires leading us through life, he takes our hand and walks us down the path of life. Man, I want to go where God's taken me. All these paths and all these choices in life. And you think about every decision we make in life and to have God helping us down the path that we should go because he gives us free will. We're not robots. But for him to establish and direct our past and saying this way, that way, this way, that way, going to where we need to go is so, so cool to me. Philippians 1.6, very familiar verse as well, says this, being confident of this very thing, Paul speaking to the church of Philippi, that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. What he starts in us, he'll complete in us. Isn't that not super cool? So that's committing our works to the Lord. That's trusting in God. And he will take us down the path that we should go. And then it says, I mean, in 127 that we opened up with, it says, unless the Lord builds a house, those who labor will labor in vain. And that word vain means emptiness, worthlessness, having no substance or value or importance. And I made this statement that I heard another preacher say one time. He said, wouldn't the greatest tragedy in life be spending our entire lives building but finding out it was not God. And he's telling us that this is the things that can happen. We have choices. He leads us. He guides us down paths. He says, commit our works unto the Lord and our thoughts will be established. Trust in the Lord with all our heart, soul, mind, strength. Trust in him and he'll direct our paths. Wouldn't it be horrible to walk through life leaning on our own understanding, just coming to the end there and realizing, man, all this opportunity we had, we didn't build it on God. That would be the greatest tragedy for me in life. It truly, truly, truly would be. And when we walk out the plans of God and God directs our path, it might not always be the way our flesh or we want to go, but it's the only place that has true peace and true satisfaction. Knowing that we've done the will of God. That's the only thing that brings true peace and true satisfaction. It it truly does. Knowing that we're in the will of God. Everything outside of that is chaos. It truly is. God bring things, brings things into order. And when our lives come into order, it brings peace. It brings satisfaction. Fear leaves. We walk our lives without fear. And that is what our goal is. I talked about it last week on how our life is just but a breath. The Bible talks about it in the earth. It's just, it says it's just, we're here one day like a flower and then next it's just withered away. And I was having a conversation with a buddy last week and, and we were talking about this and, and just talking about the sliver of time that we have in eternity, how small that is. 
And we began to just look at like the average lifespan in, in Canada. And I know the proverb says you can add a lot to it. So, but the average is like 83 years old and, and, and we're all shooting for more than that. We all can get more than that if we, if we take care of ourselves, we can. And so for the most part, and so 83 years. And so we looked at what percentage of 83 would be just in a million years. And it was like 0.0083%. Like we're trying to think about eternity, but just to try to grab a piece of eternity, which is a million years, and just shove our lifespan just into a mere million years if we were to live a million years after we die. And so it's like 0.0083% of just the million years. And so I just made that comparison. Him and I were talking, just making the comparison because it's almost like this life didn't even exist in just a million years. It's almost like you can't even write it. It's so small. Now think about that in eternity, how small a time period we have, and then we're going to live into eternity. And my whole point was it's so, so, so small. This lifespan is so small and yet has such eternal impact to how we live our lives. The Bible talks about it all over the place. How we live our lives here affects us for eternity and affects others for eternity. And when we think about just this drop in the bucket, just this breath of a life, we need to just back out and go, God, I can certainly give this little slice to you. I want to live for you. I want to commit my works to you. I want to trust in you and not in my own understanding because this thing's going to be gone just like that. And I'm only 51 years old, but anybody can testify when we start to get to this. Time seems to speed up as we get older. And it's like, I mean, I know technically it doesn't, but it does in perception. It's just like I start to realize more and more and more and more and more that what I have, I want to give for the glory of God. What I do, I want to do for the glory of God. And it makes life harder though, because you know how many times I get mad or irritated in a day? Like I just dare you to look at that this week. How many times you just get mad in a day? Just some simple guy cutting in front of you in the line or like, you know, there's so many moments I just want to buy back for the kingdom of God, because it's so short, so short, our lifespan. And so he says, unless the Lord builds the house, he that labors, labors in vain. Second half of the verse, Psalm 127 says, unless the Lord guards the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. I'm not going to spend too much time here because all basically I have here for a note is the same way you build it is the same way you keep it, our lives. It's just simple. We build our lives on God. We keep our lives on God. Everything we do, we do for the glory of God. We build a family. How do we keep our family? Same way you built the family. You build it in the morals of God. You do it in the ways of God, in the likeness of God, and committing our works and establishing it unto the Lord. And then Psalm 127, 2 goes on and says, says this. Well, Psalm 127 says, It is vain for you to rise up early, to sit up late, to eat the bread of sorrows, for so he gives his beloved sleep. If you have trouble sleeping, write this verse down. Because it says right here, it is vain for you to rise up early, to sit up late, to eat the bread of sorrows. Is anybody his beloved in this house here? I am. I know I am. Anybody else the beloved of Christ? You better say so. <laughs> that means you belong to him. He gives his beloved sleep. You're laying awake at night and you're having trouble and you've been having trouble sleeping. You just... Begin to talk to your mind and talk to the enemy and just say, my Lord gives me sleep. Now he says a lot of reasons why people don't go to sleep is this, is they're worrying. He says they're rising up early, they're sitting and staying up late and they're eating the bread of sorrow. They're worrying. They're worrying about their lives. They're worrying about what could happen. They're being sorrowful on, on things that have happened in life. 
and we stay up late and it's saying, listen, don't worry. Now, why is it saying don't worry in verse two? Because we just read in verse one that we've handed everything over to the Lord. So if we've handed everything over to the Lord, what's there to worry about, right? If we've committed our works to the Lord, if we have trusted in the Lord with our heart, everything, and leaning not into our own understanding, what reason is there to worry? We've just given it all to him. We've just put him in the driver's seat. Why are we worrying about the driving, right? And so it's saying, if the Lord builds the house and the Lord keeps the city, don't worry then, because we shouldn't worry about something that the Lord is in charge of. And it is so freeing to follow God. I can't, I can't say that enough. It is so freeing to follow God's ways. We think they're hard and they're strict and all this. It's not. Because when we follow God's ways, guess what? He is the one in charge. When we commit our works to him and he establishes our thoughts, when he orders our steps, when we lean not into our understanding, it's like, God, this is your deal then. If you want me to do this and you want me to act this way, this is your deal. And he's fine. He says, cast your cares onto me. He's fine. He's the greatest burden bearer there is. And so he doesn't want us to worry because he is in charge. And why worry about something that the Lord is in charge of? Just be free of it. Be free of it. God wants us free of worry, free of fear. It's all of, I, I, I keep forgetting to look it up. I forget the amount of times, but the amount of times that the New Testament says, do not worry. I don't know what the number is, but I remember looking at it a few times and it's like, wow, lots. That's, my, my reaction is, whoa, I didn't realize it. Do not worry. Matthew 6 talks about this in 25 to 33. It says this, therefore I say to you, and this is very familiar first, do not worry. Somebody say, do not worry. Do not worry. Do not worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, about your body or what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Now he's not saying that wearing clothing isn't important. If you don't have clothes on today, I'm probably gonna kick you out of here. He's not saying that. Or we're gonna attract a whole different group of people if that happens. He's saying, do not worry. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air, for they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns that your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? Which of you by worrying can add one cubit to its stature, one inch to its height? So why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow, they neither, they neither toil nor spin. And yet I say to you that Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Now Solomon was the richest man in the world. And he was not arrayed like one of these flowers. Now, if God so clothed the grass of the field, which is today, and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? So what he's saying there is, if you just look at that verse, he's saying, now, if God clothed the grass of the field, which is better arrayed than Solomon, who was the richest man in the world, how much more will he clothe you, you of little faith? So what's he saying? Right there, he's saying, it was like, it's like God loves you more than the lilies who I dressed more than Solomon who was the richest man in the world. He's saying, listen, I am the one who created the richest man in the world. I'm the one that owns all the cattle on a thousand hills. I'm the one that owns the world. What are you so concerned about? Why are you worrying? Why are you worrying? Again, say, do not worry. Now it goes on to say this. Therefore, do not worry saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? Now this should get some of us. It's got me in this verse before. For after all these things, the Gentiles or the heathen seek. So he's like, what should we eat? What should we do? If we're worrying about that, we're like the heathen, he says. 
For after all these things the Gentiles seek, for your heavenly Father knows that you have need of these things. Now here's the thing again. This is the verses that we've been looking at. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added unto you. Now we've spent time in righteousness seeking the kingdom of God. We've spent time on righteousness, which means it's an imputed righteousness. It's a gift of righteousness. It's not how holy we are. It's simply that we belong to him. And that righteousness allows us access to the kingdom of God. Period. God made us righteous. We belong to him. That's it. We need to understand that. It is vital that we understand that we have imputed righteousness. Not that we have earned righteousness. It's given righteousness. So seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added unto you. We spend lots of time on righteousness. And the Bible says if we do this, seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness, all these things will be added unto you. So what does it mean to seek the kingdom of God? It says if, if we seek, it is his job to provide. If we seek, it is his job to provide. We spent time on half of that, the righteousness part. We know we belong to him. We know that we are heirs to the kingdom of God. We know that his sons were seated in heavenly places. Of course, we should have this stuff. We're his kids. But seeking first the kingdom of God is bigger than that. It's kingdom of God's is, is, is his rule on the earth. That's what it is. So we seek how he rules on the earth. That's what we should be spending time doing, seeking how he rules on the earth. Just like we looked at those other verses, seeking his ways, you know, talking to him, having our thoughts established, trusting in him and not our own understanding, seeking the kingdom, his ways of being right, his ways of ruling. And so we search out his ways. And if we search out his ways, all these things are just easily added to us. We're much more valuable. And he's just going to keep us anyways, even if we're terrible at, the, at, this, at this. But as we seek, this stuff gets established and this stuff gets added to us. And I don't know about you, but I like stuff added to me. I do. I do. I love it when I get new tools for my machinery. I ordered a couple on Amazon this week. Ordered Makita greaser so I don't have to pump that thing on my skid steers anymore. I got an 18-volt greaser now. I love stuff being added to me. I do. I love financial things added to me. I love spiritual things added to me. I love emotional things added to me. And I love them when they come from God because every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father of lights in whom there's no shadow or variation of turning. So anything he adds to me, whoo, I love. I love. And he's a good God. He says, if I gave my only begotten son to you, how much more would I freely give you all good things? He's a good God. And so following God, it sounds dangerous, but it's not. It's free. You get free of fear. You get free of worry. You put all the burdens onto him. And he's a good God. He, he just blesses you along the way. He's a good dad. We don't need to be ashamed of being blessed by God. And so as we seek the kingdom of God, this happens. So we search out his ways. How do we do that? We search it out through the Bible. We're learning about God. How do his ways work? How does he rule? How does he reign? How does his kingdom work? And so in the example on, on Matthew chapter 6, people were worried about financial stuff, material stuff. And he was saying, listen, just seek me and all these things will be added to you. And so we seek his kingdom. So just even on the financial side of things, on the material side of things, we want to know how God's rules and reigns in finances. We do. Because I don't want to do things against God, especially in that arena. But the fact is God wants to add stuff to us. You know, people don't think that God takes care of them financially and materially. Of course he does. Of course he does. Money is not the root of all evil. That's a lie. And it's not what the Bible says. The Bible says the love of money is the root of all evil. There's a big, big, big difference. Big difference. And God knows if, you're, if money's your master or not. So we look at the kingdom. I'll give you some provision examples. Genesis 8.22 says this. While the earth remains, 
Seed time and harvest, cold and heat, winter and summer, day and night shall not cease. So we can all agree that the earth still remains, right? Still here. We're still sitting here today. While the earth remains, seed time and harvest, let's just look at that first one, shall not cease. So I can tell you a lot about seed time and harvest because I just spent the last week and a half planting about 10,000 pumpkins. I was a little tired the last few days. I was wondering why I was wanting to sleep halfway through the day. And so we got a lot of pumpkins in the ground and it's been wet and it's been ugly. And so we have to lay this plastic mulch down first with the tractor and it was hard to even get on there. And the time was ticking. Like I had, I had pumpkin seeds that I had to get in the ground because they, they take so many days to grow if I want a pumpkin patch in October. So we got some sunshine. Thank the Lord for that. And it was pretty wet in some areas. I had to get my skid steer and actually pull the tractor through on some of these wet areas to lay the plastic mulch down. And then we go along and we burn holes in the, in, in the mulch every three feet. And then we plant our seeds in, in those holes. And so I was there and we had another fellow working for us um, last week who, who was just, a, he planted thousands of seeds, almost all of them, while we were laying a, a mulch in there. So just time and sweat and tired and all this. Well, I was driving down to the house yesterday and I walked out into the field where all this mulch is laid those things are already starting to come up. It's like the early plant was like a week ago, not even, yeah, about a week ago or a week, week, yeah, just a week ago. And they're already starting to come up. While the earth remains, seed time and harvest. While the earth is here, seed time and harvest will exist. And so we put all this seed in and guess what? All these seeds we put in, guess what? We get more back than seeds. And I still have to go cut some of those plants that aren't healthy. And so we put three seeds in each hole and we come along later when the plants start to grow up a little bit and we pick the two best ones and then we cut the third one off. That's the least healthiest because only two should grow out of there with the nutrients. And then it just produces these big, big pumpkins and all different varieties and all different sorts of things. And they were just little seeds. And so while the earth remains, seed time and harvest, it's here, it's, it works. And so on a farming level, I know that I'm going to get more money back from the pumpkins that come out of that than the seeds that I put in. I'm going to get more money back from the seeds and the labor that I put back in come pumpkin patch time. This is just a principle that God has put into place. And we're supposed to rely on that. He says, while the earth remains, seed time and harvest shall not cease. And so it's one of the things that we do in life. But the Bible talks a lot about seed time and harvest, not just with physical seeds, not just with, with the actual seeds you put in the ground. The Bible talks about what we do in life as sowing seed. And on the financial level, it is totally true as well. It'll never cease seed time and harvest on every level. The Bible speaks about other sowing. It talks about being generous and giving as part of finances. Now, it's, we all have free choice. You can do it or not do it. But the Bible says it's not going to cease. And so if we want to harvest, we have to sow seed. We just have to. That's why the Bible talks about tithing and giving and generosity and different things. And the New Testament, a lot of people disagree on the, the tithing portion of it, but which I'm fine with because the Bible says that the laws are now written on our hearts anyways, and tithing was just a law. Now the Bible says you need to be a lot more generous than that. You just need to have a generous heart and be led by God and commit our works and our money to the Lord, and he'll establish those thoughts on where we should put it. Whether it's in work, whether it's in generosity, whether it's in, in ministry, whether it's in nonprofits, whether it's in some guy who just needs some money to get by. And so while the earth remains, this is in motion. Now Galatians 6, 7 says it this way. I always get nervous when scriptures open up with these words. Do not be deceived. You know why I get nervous? Is because the Bible's telling me it's very likely that you could be being deceived. 
And so when I look at this, I'm like, okay, God, I don't want the wool pulled over my eyes. I don't want the enemy pulling over this, eye, over this over my eyes. I obviously could get, I could get deceived here. So I'm going to pay attention. Do not be deceived. Okay, I'm paying attention. God is not mocked. Okay, I understand that. You're not mocked. For whatever a man sows, that will he also reap. Just stop there. He's saying, listen, don't mock me and don't be deceived. This principle is in motion, period, while the earth remains, period. And so because we were looking at Matthew 6 just for a little while, that's even in finance, people. And so if you've committed your works to the Lord, you've committed your money to the Lord, and you sow and seed, and then times or troubles come, guess what? He says, don't worry. He says, you seek the kingdom. He says, I'm going to take care of you just because you're one of my kids, but now you've also sown and sought the kingdom, and God's not mocked if you sowed. There's not a devil in hell that can stop your harvest. He can't. Nobody can. It's a principle in the kingdom of God. And so I myself, I get concerned about myself. I, I, I often take inventory. Lord, do I have seed in the ground for the future? And I was talking with somebody the other day, and uh, I don't want to even get into that. But it was, it was a good lesson for me that he was just pointing out in different areas of my life and ministry and business that is flourishing and I'm not even really thinking or trying that hard. It's just starting to come. And it's like, I was starting to question, like, why is it things getting so easy? Like, why are like, why are like things so easy to harvest? Why is it so easy to start a pumpkin patch or like with people and business and them flock in? Or why is it, why is it way easier to book a wedding than it was a few years ago? And, and just when it comes, it comes. And if you put the time in and you've put the seed in, Sometimes it's hard to even say praise the Lord. That's why we've got to praise the Lord every, every time something good comes because sometimes we don't even know where it came from, what seed we planted for it to show up. But we need to be walking in the Lord, planting seed, planting seed, consistently planting seed in the kingdom of God. And so that's even on a financial level. That is very much on a financial level. And it says, don't be deceived about it. God's not mocked. What you sow, you will reap. And then, very interestingly enough, which we won't go on, but if you read more of Galatians there, it then switches and goes into sowing seed as what we're talking about. And that, boy, he says, God is not mocked, and don't be deceived. What we speak, we will harvest. That'll sober you up in a hurry. When you think about the stuff that we've said and done, that's why God's mercy is wonderful, too. Because I'll look at the scripture and I'll say, God, I know you're not deceived and I know you're not mocked. And I know whatever man sows, that's will he reap. But I said some really stupid things and I did some really stupid stuff. And I know that the harvest is coming my way. But God, I plead the blood. <laughs> I plead mercy over my family, over my ways. And we have that too. That's the wonderful thing about God, right? We got a few different avenues, right? To walk down. But nonetheless, we have to be very aware of what we're putting in the ground. Because what we put in the ground comes up. What we put in our families comes up. What we put in our relationship comes up. The mouth that we, we do, how, we, how we're cynical and all of that stuff. And every single person in this place is guilty of saying stupid things. And so Lord, forgive us. So what do we do? We turn around and we sow life, sow life. The Bible says to edify so that we can impart grace to the hearers. So we impart power to the hearers. And so what it's saying is if we edify people and lift people up, that there is this power of grace that comes with it that produces this harvest of life in people. 
And so we can walk around and he's like, don't be deceived. And not just for us, we get so selfish, right? We're like, okay, oh my goodness. If I sow something bad, I'm going to get something bad. And if I sow something good, I'm going to get something good. But did you know that you could sow into somebody else and give them good, impart grace to them and bring harvest to their life? And that's where it goes back to committing our works to the Lord and our thoughts will be established and all of that stuff. Living out a life of God that's not just for us, but sowing seeds into other people's lives and letting them harvest off the goodness and the hope of our lives so that we can lay in bed at night and not have to worry. Why? Because we are in the will of God. Will of God. We are walking time bombs of hope, of grace, of mercy, of life. God says, don't be deceived. What you're doing, it's going to have an effect. It's going to have an effect. Um, okay, we're going to look at the rich young ruler next week is what we're going to do. And we're going to see how this fits into what I'm talking about. And it's not what most people think. When you look at that scripture as a whole, Jesus clarifies everything that went down a paragraph later. And he verifies everything that went down. And so we're going to save that for next week. But this week, God, we trust you. We trust in the Lord with all of our hearts. With all of our strength, we love you, God. God, we commit our works to you. We commit our day to you. We commit our week to you. We commit our life to you. We know that you're ordering our steps and we are listening to your wisdom. God, we trust in you. We trust in you. We commit our works to you. We commit our work to you. We commit our families to you. We commit our relationships to you. We commit our friend group to you. We commit our sphere to you. And we know that you'll establish our thoughts towards this with the mighty wisdom of God. You will take this chaos thing and make the crooked way straight. I thank you for your wisdom and your power in the name of Jesus. Amen. You get something out of this morning? Walk out in the presence of God. And please, everyone, don't walk out this door without committing the next portion of your walk with God. And he's going to establish thoughts. You're going to give me amazing testimonies on the things that you've come up with and the encounters you've had. I know, I know. I trust God for this. Amen? Amen.